to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Okay, are you ready tonight? All right, take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 5. Father, we thank you for your word again tonight. We thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross. We thank you that we are receiving every single thing that he paid for. We thank you we are the end-time people that you've called and filled with your spirit to change this world one person at a time. We thank you for the opportunity to do it each and every day, and we give you the praise for all that's done in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, we've been talking about healing, talking about health, talking about walking in divine health. I believe it's a very important issue in the time that we are living in, basically because of just what's going on in the natural realm and what's coming in the future. So basically as we study this, first of all, we need to get some things out of our mind that are in our mind that don't belong in our mind because they're not in line with the truth anyway. So in Romans chapter 5 tonight, let's start in verse 12. It's one of the most meaningful parts of Scripture that there is. Verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world and death by sin. Now, who was that one man? That was Adam, wasn't it? So by one man and death by sin. And so death passed upon how many men? All men for all have sinned. Now, all sinned when Adam sinned, basically, because all men were in Adam. That's why when you were born again, the Bible says you are now in Christ. Because you are no longer in Adam. Hallelujah. You are now in Christ. So just like when Adam sinned, we got everything that Adam did wrong, basically accredited to us. When Jesus basically was raised from the dead, we got everything accredited to us that he did because we are now in Christ. All right, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned or ruled from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Here it says, even though we personally did not sin, we got the results of Adam's sin. And even when he didn't die on the cross, we got the results of Jesus dying on the cross. Verse 15, but now as the offense, so also is the free gift. Say free gift. Free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. Now that's talking about a contradiction between what Adam did and what Jesus did. Now notice what it calls Jesus here. The gift of grace, which is by one man. Say one man. One man. All right, this is something you're going to have to understand too, that Jesus came here as God, but he also came as man. If, if you don't know that, somebody's going to tell you he came as God and you can't do anything that he did because he's God and you're not God. But notice, he did come as God, but he also came as man. In other words, he got hungry, he got tired, he operated by the anointing and the Holy Spirit on him just like we have the Holy Spirit and the anointing on each and every one of us. So don't let anybody talk you out of, well, that was Jesus and he was God. Well, he was God, but he did not operate as God. He operated as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. All right, verse 16. And not as it is was, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift of many offenses unto justification. What's it showing you in this verse? It's showing you the way you used to live compared to the way you should be living now. Here it says you should, should have been living in condemnation before you were born again. How many lived in condemnation? But now, since Jesus came, you are, should be living in justification, which is just as if I never sinned. 
Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So he says by one man's offense, which basically was Adam, many got into death and sin, but here he says there is a free gift called righteousness. Say righteousness. righteousness. Now notice you don't get righteousness, you receive it which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Now, what life is he talking about after you die and go to heaven? No, he's talking about right now, right? So basically, you're either going to live in a place where you're living in, in condemnation, you're living in guilt, or you're living in righteousness. Righteousness is a legal term. It's not a religious term at all. It means to be in right standing with God, to be in right alignment with God. How did we get in right alignment with God? We didn't do anything to get in a reign of God. Basically, Jesus provided it for each and every one of us on the cross. What are we supposed to do? Receive it. Say, receive it. Receive. So you've got the whole Christian church out there trying their best to become righteous by what they do. And it don't matter how much they do, they'll never become righteous by what they do because you can't become righteous by doing. You become righteous by faith in what Jesus already did for us. And when you're walking in faith, then you receive the righteousness. And notice, you cannot reign in life unless you understand you're righteous. That's the key right there. You can't believe you're an old sinner. You can't believe you're a failure. You can't believe you're no good. You can't believe you're unworthy. Then try to reign over everything because you can't do it. Here he says you've been returned to the right place in God and in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can reign in life. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as by one offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon how many men? All men under justification of life. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, and by the obedience of one shall many be made what? Now notice, it doesn't say that by the obedience of one many will become righteous. It says many were made righteous. How many know there's a big difference between becoming something and being made something? We were made the righteousness of God in Christ. How will we do that? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He washed us in his blood. At that time, he totally set us free. So here we have spiritual death on one side from Adam. And with spiritual death, we found out came the curse. What's in the curse? Sin, sickness, death, disease. All these things are under that. So when, when Adam sinned, all these things came in and were available to mankind and came upon mankind. But notice, when Jesus came, he opened the door for you to be what the Bible calls born again. I mean, it's talking spiritually. So when you got born again spiritually out of death into life, at that time you were no longer subject to the old things that you used to have underneath the curse. Hallelujah. If, if the source of all those things was you being dead on the inside and you being under the curse, then when you got redeemed and delivered from the curse, all those things now are not available to you unless you receive them. That's why you've got to understand there was a total transformation. I mean, the day that I got born again, I didn't know it. But at that time, the devil who was beating me up, taking me down, lying to me at that time, he was taken as a ruler over me and placed underneath my feet that day. Now, when I went to church for 14 years, not when I studied the Bible, that day there was a miracle. Hallelujah. I want to see a miracle. Look in the mirror. <laughs> a miracle in your life. At that time, you were totally changed, and everything was reversed in your life that was there before. You're no longer under the rule of Satan. He's under the, your rule, praise God. You're no longer a sinner. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You shouldn't be in guilt and condemnation. That comes from the devil. 
Conviction will come from the Holy Spirit when you're about to make a mistake to keep you out of your mess. And of course, you must obey him in that time in order to do it. So if sickness and disease were the fruit of sin and death, then if you've been delivered from spiritual death, you should no longer be struggling with sin, sickness, and disease because you've been delivered from its source, which is spiritual death. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, go to Revelations chapter 20. So sickness and disease did not come from God. God does not put it on people. God is not here to teach you with sickness and disease. He's not here to make you stronger by sickness and disease. He's not any of those things. God is good, and God has already set you free from these things. And until you understand it's his perfect will, notice not just his will, but his perfect will in your life, you'll have a hard time living in divine health. All right, Revelations chapter 20. Look at verse 10. And it says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever and ever. This shows you that the devil, this is the back of the book, the devil that deceived the people of the world will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and they shall be tormented day and night. All right, go to chapter 21. Look at verse 4, and here's the result of that. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have done what? Passed away. So this says what's going to happen in the end? In the end, the devil and all the evil demons and everything are going to be thrown into a place called the lake of fire. And they're going to be there for how long? forever and ever. Now, if God had anything to do with sickness and disease, if he was the one allowing people to get sick, if he was the one putting sickness on people, then actually God should be the one thrown into the lake of fire so that there's no more death, no more sickness, no more disease. But God's not going to be thrown in the lake of fire. The devil is. And as soon as he is, there's no more sickness, no more disease, none of this stuff out there anymore because he is the source of sickness and disease in this world. God has nothing to do with it except to heal you from it. All right, go to Acts chapter 10. All right, Acts chapter 10, look at verse 38. We were there before. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with what? Power. Power. What did he do? He went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. Now, this scripture has a lot in it. First of all, it has the Trinity in it. You can find a few scriptures with the complete Trinity in it. God the Father anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. So notice, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, and notice what he did. He went about doing good. Say good. good. So according to this scripture, healing must be good because he went about healing all those, and here it says that he was doing good, healed all those that were oppressed of the devil. Say oppressed of the devil. Oppressed. Now the word oppression here means under the power of or to be ruled over by. Under the power of or to be ruled over by. So sickness is not a blessing. It is demonic oppression. It is to be under the power of Satan, under the power of one of his works. So all that Jesus healed apparently 
were under the power of the enemy. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Now, we've given them names. You know, we call it the flu. We call it this or that. But what it is, it's demons basically attacking the human physical body to keep them from doing what God has called them to do and their purpose or cut their life short. So here it says, Jesus healed all. Say, he healed all. All right, and that's another thing I had to learn because I was taught when I first came out, out of the denomination and I got under some teachers, they said that God heals some and doesn't heal others. God may heal you, he may not heal you. Well, and their, and their, their reason was because some got healed and some didn't. So, of course, you get the attitude that some get healed and some don't get healed. But notice here it says he healed how many? He healed all. Well, let me ask you, some get saved and don't get saved. Is salvation available for everybody? It is, isn't it? So you can't say, well, God don't save everybody. No, God's already provided salvation for everyone, but it still must be received in order to receive it. It's the same way with divine health. Health has already been provided for anyone, and even the people outside the kingdom of God, it's been provided for them. But when you step into the kingdom of God, then it becomes yours and it belongs to you. So healing, basically, God heals everyone. And, and it messed me up because when somebody told me that that wasn't the way it was, every time I went to pray for somebody, I was wondering whether that was one that God didn't want to heal, and if it was someone he didn't want to heal, was I disobeying God by trying to heal that person because God heals some and doesn't heal others. So what I do, I start praying for the gifts of the Spirit to know which ones to heal and which not. How many know that was complete stupidity? But see, whatever you're taught, you are going to do. You are going to follow through on. So should I heal this person? Or I wonder if this is one that God heals. I wonder. There's enough, there's enough battle going on without going through that yet. God wants everyone healed. He wants every single one healed. He sent us to heal the sick, basically, and set them free. So that takes you out. Does God want so-and-so healed? Yes. Does God want this person healed? Well, I don't know. They're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. I, don't, I wouldn't want them healed. If I was God, I'll tell you, no, 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 no. He wants every single person healed, and we are the people who basically he uses to lay hands on the sick so that they re recover. So God basically is a healer. Here it says Jesus was anointed. Say anointed. So how many of you know that the anointing must be important in Jesus' life than it must be important in, in our life? You know, Jesus lived here 30 years. He didn't heal anybody. Didn't cast out one devil. Didn't do any miracles, signs, and wonders. What was God doing? Sleeping? Was he taking a break? Was he didn't care? He didn't care about anybody? No, he needed someone on earth as a man anointed by the Spirit of God and basically to do what needed to be done. And notice it's not done in our power. It's done by the anointing of God that's on our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. That's why it's so important to not only depend on the anointing, but also to protect the anointing that you have. It doesn't take much to get us in an unanointed position, even though we have the anointing. It basically gets plugged up by our worry, fear, criticalness, gossip, all these things in our life are things that you cannot do, bless God, because you want to be full of the power of God. You never know. How many know you never know? How many have ever were walking along the day and really wrapped up the natural realm? You ran into somebody and did something, then you walked away and thought, my God, I had an opportunity there, and I didn't even think about it because I was so worried about whether I had 12 eggs at home or 13. See, those things get in our mind, and they take us back into the natural realm, and God brings us opportunities to touch someone's life, and we don't figure it out till after we had the opportunity to touch someone's life, and then it's too late then. But, but, but we should have built-in radar 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm not saying that you lay hands on everybody that walks by you. I'm saying you should be ready to minister to people, and in order to be ready to minister to people, you have to be ready in here in order to be ready out here. 
They, I mean, when we used to go to church, man, and we used to drive down to Port Salerno to do it, and they had that one drawbridge there, and they didn't have the big bridge there. They had one drawbridge there, and it never failed. Every time we were going to church and we were a little late, I guarantee you the devil put that drawbridge up. And by the time I got to church, I was all excited when I first left. Somebody had to cast the devil out of me because I was mad. I was upset. I, was, I mean, hey, I mean, you start out so good, and then you show up 15 minutes late, and by the time you get to church and everybody's praising and worshiping, and you just look like you want to sock somebody, you know? Why is that? Because things are there in our life, but they do not have to affect us. I mean, they don't have to affect us. If they affected your anointing by people you hang around in situations and circumstances, then Jesus should have lost his anointing all the time because he had 12 disciples who basically were anointing suckers. You know, they did everything they could to steal his anointing or block his anointing. But he walked in the anointing. He stayed in the anointing. He spoke when he needed to, didn't speak when he needed to. So we want to walk in the anointing, not only to help others, but also how many know in our own lives. Because it's the anointing, according to the Bible, that breaks the yoke of sickness. So if the anointing's not working, we don't have a yoke breaker there, and it allows sickness and disease to come in our life sometimes. And that's when the Holy Ghost will come, and he will basically straighten you out. Say, straighten me out. Straighten me out. Praise God. All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. Hallelujah. It feels good to be healed, don't it? Let's <laughs> understand that right away. If you don't feel good when you're sick, then it must not be too good. All right. Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Now, what did she have? A spirit, a spirit didn't she? A spirit of sickness, a spirit of infirmity. This was she had for how long? 18 years. He, she was bowed over and could to no wise lift herself up. Jesus saw her, and he called her to him, and he said unto her, Woman, Thou someday in the future, maybe 2,000 years from go, you will be loosed from your infirmity. No, loose. Jesus walked in faith, didn't he? He said, woman, thou art loosed when? Now. now. Thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, there are six days of which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered and said, You hypocrite, do you not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? All right, so this tells you, first of all, there was a woman bowed over. She couldn't stand up. What was her problem? Did she have a back problem? Did she have a vertebrae problem? What did she have? She had a spirit of infirmity. Now, notice, this wasn't, a, it doesn't say she had a spirit of infirmity, a woman who God had blessed. No, who Satan had bound. This woman was under the dominion and oppression of the devil. Now, Jesus always deals. He's a king. He deals in divine rights. He in rights. So what did he say? Ought not or should not this woman be healed because she is a daughter of Abraham? What's he doing? Kingdom talk. Right. He's not saying she should be healed because I love her. Should be healed because she's a good girl. No, she has a legal right to be healed because she has a covenant and she's in line with, with military authority. And basically she should be healed because she is a daughter of 
Abraham. A lot of times when Jesus ministered, if you look at it from a kingdom standpoint, he ministered as a king, not as we look at him. He was a king. He knew what He says, what happens? This lady's got a legal right to be healed, and for 18 years she's been walking around here, and you haven't done a thing for her because you were too worried that it was going to be done on the Sabbath day. I mean, the devil just doesn't make you sick on the Sabbath day. See, so religion even entered into this port to a place where she could not be healed for 18 years. But notice what happened when she did get healed. Verse 13, and he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she did what? Say glorified God. glorified God. Notice she glorified God. All right, go to John chapter 11. I think the worst time for me in my walk with the Lord was when I first got saved. Because when God touched me and I was hungry, like a, you know, like a baby, like Cashy, if anything's on the floor, he eats it. And I ate everything. I mean, I... It doesn't matter who the preacher was. He could have been full of the devil himself. But if he was on a Christian station, I was going to sit down. And I was going to suck it up, man. I was getting the word everywhere. I, I didn't know right from wrong, truth from error. I'd just taken everything in. And after really pressing in for about two weeks, you know what I got? Confused. Because I had half the people teach me one thing, half the people teach me another thing. And one of the things did, I went to, I'm not even going to mention the station because that wouldn't be very nice. But I went to a Christian station, and there was a minister on there who ministered on this right here. John chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus and Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, some guy taught on this, and he taught me that sickness brings glory to God. It's right here in this verse. Basically, the more you suffer, the more hell you go through, the more sickness you go through, the closer to God you get. Why is that? Because it says, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for what? Glory of God. And then he quoted the scripture, pick up your cross and follow me. So the more that you suffered, the closer you're going to get from, to God, the more that happened in your life. But then when I started studying the Bible, I found out that when he went to the cross, he became sin so that I could become righteous. He went to hell, not so I could go to hell, but so I could go to heaven. He got sick on the cross with sickness and disease so I could live healthy. So that pretty much threw me here. I, I'm thinking, if Jesus went to all that suffering on the cross, there he was, beaten, plucked, everything else, and basically he provided for our healing, and yet me being sick glorifies God. Something's a matter here. I mean, even the natural, when you're not too smart, you can figure that out. So I knew that something was wrong there. I didn't know what was going on, but basically, here he says, basically, sickness is for the glory of God. But as you continue to study, as you continue to look, let's go down to verse, uh, where do we want to go next? Let's go to verse 14. Go back to 11 first. It says, These things said Jesus, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go and I make him awake from his sleep. Now, how, how many of you know that? That had to shake him up a little bit because I already told him he was dead. But now he says, No, he's just sleeping. Verse 14. Then finally, when they didn't understand, he plainly said to them, Lazarus is what? Dead. dead. Lazarus is dead. He had explained it to him. And I want you to notice something else here. Lazarus was dead, but when Jesus heard it, he did not jump in his Maserati and get there as quick as he could. 
He was led by the Spirit of God. He knew what was going to happen when he got there. He knew that if he was dead, he was probably not going to get any deader. <laughs> you see what I mean? Now, in our natural minds, we think, God, if they, if they died at 2, I better get there because now it's 2.20. No, the guy's dead. doesn't matter if you get there at 3, 4, 5, 6. If you're going to raise him from the dead anyway, it doesn't matter how long he's been dead. But us, we go, oh, Brother Sue's in. Let's all go run down there. No, you've got to be led once again by the Spirit of God on the inside of you to figure it out. So the Knox translation actually said, the end of this will not be death. The end or final say will be to the glory of God. So that reversed it, didn't it? It made me think that, no, no, no. Healing's what glorifies God, not sickness glorifies God. Now, how many know that's a big difference? That wasn't a minor adjustment. That was a sledgehammer on my brain that tried to change it around and make me understand. So here he said, Lazarus is dead. So he continues to go on. Look at verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary still sat in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou ask of God, God will give you thee. So here she comes. She comes first of all. And what does she do? She blames it on Jesus. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother would have died. And notice what she didn't say. Even though he's dead, glory, 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 glory. We glorify God. No, she didn't have any glory in there. She was blaming Jesus for what had happened, that if he had just been there, if he wanted to loaf to get him there, one that died. All right, look at verse 32. Then Mary decided to come. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how many know she heard that someplace? So you know what was going on for Jesus even to get there. Don't you? already discussed the situation. They already determined it was Jesus. But notice, she didn't say, because he's dead, glory, 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 glory to God, glory to God, he's dead. So there was no glorification here for his sickness. There was no glorification for his death whatsoever. Mary did not thank God, basically. And he did not say, please don't raise him from the dead or he's going to steal God's glory. She didn't say that. But if you think the glory is of God, then you think that Jesus made a mistake here once again. Look at verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and he was troubled. All right, look at verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? I tell you, Jesus couldn't win. <laughs> Could he? He healed. It was on the Sabbath. A person died. He didn't heal him. He's in trouble again because he should have did it. He went back and forth. When you walk in the spirit, many times nobody likes you. That's why you've got to get thick-skinned before you get there. In other words, you're going to take some stabs in the back. You're going to take some people saying some things that aren't very nice. You're going to have to, and you're going to have to learn, basically, to walk in the Spirit, even though those things come against your life. Here you can see everybody was disgusting. The two, the two daughters, or the two sisters were saying, hey, if he'd have just been here, if Jesus would have just got here instead of loafing around, he wouldn't have died. And the other people said, well, he healed everybody else. Why could he heal this person? So they were all talking. I mean, you know, this had to be a tough atmosphere to raise somebody from the dead. I mean, in other places, he threw them all out. He should have thrown them all out here before he did this, in my opinion. All right, verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind and caused even this man should not have died? Look at verse 40. So Jesus said unto them, 
said I not unto you that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God. Now notice, he, he, he equates here believing with the glory of God. Not sickness with the glory of God, not somebody being dead with the glory of God. He says, if you believe, you shall see the glory of God. Most of the church wants to see, then believe. We've got to learn to believe, and then we will see. See, one of them isn't even in the spirit. One of them, you don't even have to be born again to understand that you're healed when you feel better. See? Are you sick? Yeah. Why? I feel that way. Are you healed now? Yeah, I got no. Well, everything's fine again. Then the pain comes again. Are you sick? Yeah, I'm sick as a dog. And then the pain goes away. Yeah, I'm healed. Anybody knows that. But as Christians, we believe the word. And the word that says, by his stripes I am healed. The word that says he suffered for me and sickness and diseases are gone. That's the word that I believe no matter what it looks like on the outside. So my believing comes before my seeing. So here he says, the glory of God is released. When you believe, then you will see. Look at verse 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about his napkin. Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, what did they do? Believed. Believed. They believed and they saw the glory of what? Of God. Now you've got to understand, here's where meditation comes in. These are just not stories. You understand? When you close your eyes and meditate on a story like this, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. If you know the Bible at all, how many of you know that they, they wrap them pretty tight in those days? Yeah, and they just put a hanky over there, like in this cocoon thing. So Lazarus, we, we know he probably didn't walk out. I don't know if he bonged, 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 bonged. I don't know if he rolled out. I don't know how he did it, but he did come out. And when he came out, of course, if he came out unloosed, Jesus probably would have never said, loose him and let him go. So apparently he came out. Now, you, then you've got to put yourself not only in Jesus' spot, put yourself in the spectator's spot. Lazarus come forth. It opens up and boom, 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 boom. Loose him and let him go. Now, that's their job, ain't it? They've got to peel some stuff off of him. They've got to get him loosed. So notice here, once again, what, what brought glory to God? It wasn't the sickness that brought glory to God. It wasn't the death of Lazarus that brought glory to God. It was the deliverance and the raising of Lazarus from the dead that brought glory to God. All right, Matthew chapter 9. Remember there was one time I was doing a healing service back at the uh, charismatic prayer meetings on Thursday night and some lady came up who was in a lot of pain and she came up and I said, you know, I'm going to pray for you and I pray for you, uh, you know, you're going to be healed. And she said, well, I hope I'm partly healed. I said, what do you mean partly healed? I mean, you might as well get healed if you're here. We just taught on healing. And she said, well, it's never too much to suffer for the Lord, she said. I said, you're not in competition. And if you are, he wins because you're probably not going to be able to beat him because he went through a lot more than you're going through right now. But where did she get that? She was taught that, wasn't she? She heard that from somebody. So she wanted to get totally healed because by her suffering, she thought she was doing something for God through her suffering and through her pain. Well, if you've got that, then it's going to be awful hard to get healed when you want to please God by hurting, but yet you hate hurting. I mean, what, a, what a spot to be in. I mean, you're just caught going round and round and round. All right, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 1, and Jesus entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought 
to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed and Jesus seeing their faith said unto the sick of the palsy son be of good cheer thy sins are forgiven so here's a man with a palsy basically he's sick Jesus said his sins are forgiven and behold certain of the scribes said within themselves this man blasphemes and Jesus knowing their thoughts said wherefore think ye evil in your hearts for whether is it easier to say thy sins being forgiven thee or to say arise and walk but that thou may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins then he said to the sick of the palsy arise take up your bed and go unto your house and he arose and departed unto his house now here this is very good because Jesus equates the forgiveness of sins right next to the healing of our bodies in the same thing in other words this guy was this guy was sick he didn't want to hear Go and sin no more. He didn't want to hear your sins are forgiven. He wasn't there to get his sins forgiven. He was there to get healed. But Jesus shows that there's no difference. I can forgive your sins or I can heal you. They were both provided for. Are you following me? Going to be provided for on the same day. So he said, it doesn't matter to me. Whichever one I say is going to work. He told him to rise, get up, and he arose and he got up. Look at verse 8. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and they did what? They glorified God, which had given such power to who? Now that scripture will get you in trouble. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power to who? Amen. To who? Amen. Okay, so now we got a church that disclaims the power of God and tells you that Jesus has all the power and then expects you to do something without the power of God to glorify God, which you can't do without the power of God to glorify God and set people free. But you don't have any power. You want to glorify God? Yeah, but you ain't got no power. You just be good. Be nice. Sweep the carpet every now and then. Shake hands and hug somebody. No. Glorification comes through the power of God that's on you and when somebody is set free. So notice he's given that power to men. Say men. men. And it's amazing to me, the people at this time here knew that Jesus was operating as a man. And a lot of the church don't know he was operating as a man. They still think he was operating as God. But these people knew. Man, give power to man. So they glorified God. Now when did they glorify God? What, he had the palsy? When they carried him in? When he looked like he was sick? No, when he arose and he walked, that's when they started glorifying God. Once again, basically it's not sickness that does it, but it's the healing power of God. I right, go to Matthew chapter 15. All right, Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 30. And great multitudes came unto him, having with him those who were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be made whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, once again, where did, when did they glorify God? Did they do it in verse 30 when they were lame, blind, dumb, maimed? Or was it when they all got dumb started to speak, the maimed were made whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and then they glorified God? So once again, glorification does not come. As a matter of fact, he used this verse the day he taught, and he only used verse 30 and then went to the end of glorifying God. He never even read about when they were healed or anything like that, just to prove a point. That's why if you're going to learn the Bible and teach the Bible, you've got to have more than one scripture 
that you read, basically, and try to make a sermon out of it. You better have it backed up with two or three other scriptures in order to make the truth clear to everybody because there's people out there now who know when you're telling something that's probably not right, praise God. And you don't want to get in a meeting like that if you're in the middle of it, glory to God. All right, go to Luke chapter 7. Didn't know there were so many glorified gods in here, did you? There's a good one here. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 12. And when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man. How many know this guy was sick? <laughs> there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the coffin, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Now, this is very interesting here. <laughs> Are you getting the picture? Like, imagine just walking along and going to a funeral, carrying out that casket. Jesus stops, touches it, says, Get up! And the, and the guy sits up, starts talking. Hey, how's it going? Who won the game last night? Praise God, I'm out for a while. I don't know what's going on. These things, once again, are they're real-life stories. How many of you know that? So here it says, now this person wasn't sick. This person wasn't depressed. This person wasn't down. This person was dead. This person was dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. He touched him. How many know that? That's what we're called to do. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And notice, he had compassion on her, not on him. Compassion was on the mother. Why? She was a widow. She was by herself, whatever. So Jesus said, well, what the heck? I might as well raise him up. So she's got a son again. And she did that basically. Now look at verse 16. What was the result? And there came a fear on all. How many of you believe that? Oh, yeah. I mean, go to the funeral home next time you go and have somebody sit up in the coffin and start talking <laughs> to you. And I'll tell you what, there are going to be a lot of people leaving that funeral on the run. Yeah. Nobody was saying, oh, praise God, and everybody was, look, fear fell on them all. Say, fear fell on them all. But notice, they still glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us and that God has visited his people. So notice, even though they got fearful, they could still understand that it was the glory of God that healed and raised this guy up from the dead and got him where he was. So basically, sickness does not bring glory to God. Healing and deliverance brings glory to God. Death does not bring glory to God. Life is what glorifies God. He came to give us life and life abundantly. All right, let's do one more. Go to Luke 17. All right, Luke 17, look at verse 12. And as Jesus entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were what? Cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, for he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were, not, were there not ten cleansed, but there, where are the other nine? 
they have not been found to return to give glory to God but this stranger. Once again, you can look at this from many different ways. Here's ten lepers. Notice he stood afar off. Say afar off. Why did they stand afar off? Because they were lepers, and you weren't supposed to get close to anybody in that day. You were supposed to stand afar off, but they could stand together because they all had leprosy anyway. It didn't make any difference. So basically, they basically wanted healed. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, why did he say that? Dum, 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 dum. Why is that? Because in the Old Testament, that was one of the things you did when you were healed. You went and showed yourself to the priests. You can look it up. It was in there. So he was just basically using Old Testament to connect with them that they were healed, or else they wouldn't go show themselves to the priest unless they were healed. So basically, he could have said, you're healed. Instead, he said, go show yourselves to the priest because you are healed. And notice what it says. As they went. Say, as they went. went. Well, what if they wouldn't have went? See? What if they wouldn't have went? Well, they probably wouldn't have got healed, would they? Because it was as they went the healing took place, not when he said it, but as they went. That shows you that if you're going to live by faith in divine health, it, you, there's also action that goes with the word. It's not just the word. You can't say, I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, and then complain about sickness and disease for 14 days. You can't go out and tell everybody you know, how you feel. You can't do all this stuff. Why? Because if you really believe you're healed, you're healed. So the, the ten left, and only one came back. It said ten were cleansed. How many were there to begin with? And ten got cleansed, so that pretty much was everybody. And notice, so they walked away. Ten were cleansed. One came back and glorified God. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Why didn't they come back and give me glory, give me glory and praise for what took place? Now, I put myself in this thing, and when the one came back, I'd have said, praise God, one out of ten got healed. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. I finally got one. You know, one out of ten. But notice, Jesus was so schooled in divine health that he knew all ten would be healed. See? We're glad to get one healed. And I don't even care if he comes back and glorifies God or not. I just want somebody to get healed. Do you see? See the thought life difference of Jesus? Jesus, I have healing power. If they just listen to me, they already asked. If they go as they went, all ten will be healed. How did he know all ten got healed? Well, he must have known somehow because he did. Not everybody there, the nine didn't come back. So basically, he already knew when he said it. He knew, just like when Lazarus was dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Why is that? Because Jesus operated in the gifts of the Spirit all the time. He knew things before they happened. He knew when he was in the will of God what God would do. I mean, if you really understand finances and you really believe that in God's word, then God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Well, it don't look like it. It doesn't matter what it looks like because God already said, and I know God's will is to do it, so I'm just going to go ahead and relax. And Now, you can't go home and worry about it. Because that shows that you don't believe again. So we've got to line up. And the only way we're going to do that is to renew our mind on the Word of God. And by renewing our mind on the Word of God, we start to think just like Jesus thinks. How many know it's possible? Be not conformed to, but be ye transformed by the re... And the Bible even says that we have the mind of Christ. Now, how many know everybody does, but not everybody's using it? See? Is that person born again? It's hard to tell, but I'll tell you what, they got the mind of Christ. They just ain't losing it. Why is that? Because you've got to renew your mind to line up through the Word of God and the will of God and the way Jesus operates and the way things operate. A good way to walk in divine health is get these scriptures and meditate on them. See yourself healing the sick. See yourself getting out of sickness and disease. See God's will in every situation. Never did one time did somebody walk up to Jesus and Jesus says, not today. 
The father just don't want it to happen today. Uh, uh, tomorrow might be better than today, but he's just shut down today. You know, we already taken a number of patients that we could take, and we're going to eat lunch now or whatever. No, he never did. Even when the leper came down and said, will you make me clean? He, apparently, he knew he could. He was just wondering whether he would or not. And Jesus simply said, I will. Those are two big words. Because if Jesus said, I will, to him, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then whenever you say, Jesus, uh, would you heal me? He said, I will. I will. Don't matter what you got, I will. Because that is the will of God in your life. Then we find a scripture, and what do we do? We stand on that darn scripture. It's, it's a covenant promise to it. It's part of our legal rights in the kingdom of God. They belong to us. So I'm just going to stay there on that scripture. I'm going to answer the thoughts with the scripture. I'm going to answer people with the scripture. And having you do that, you're not going to have a lot of questions anymore. You don't look very good. How are you feeling? Healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now they can't ask you anything anymore. Because they're going to ask you where you hurt and how long you've hurt and how much you hurt. But you already killed their questions. You, just, you can't even have an intelligent conversation with them when you use the word of God. It's terrible. You just shut people off all the time. It's horrible. Praise God. All right. Go to Exodus chapter 23. These are Old Testament promises on healing. All right, Exodus chapter 23, look at verse 25. It says, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. I mean, no, that's a good one. That's even better than being healed if he takes sickness completely away from the midst of thee. Here he says, I will do that. When will he do it? If you serve the Lord your God, he'll bless your bread and water. Now look at verse 26. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I mean, no, that's, that's a good promise there. Number one, there's no barren. There's many times that we have prayed for someone. One time we did it in an airport. We were in an airport. Our, our, we were, had a layover. Our cousin showed up in the same airport, gone to a different place. We ran into him. We started talking to them, and they said, well, we've been trying to have a kid, and we just can't have a kid. And before we thought, we just said, oh, I will pray for you. You'll have a kid. And we laid hands on him and prayed for him, and guess what happened? They had a kid, praise God. So notice here it says that you, you won't be barren. You won't be barren if you serve the Lord your God. And the number of thy days I will what? Fulfill. That means you can relax. You can live your life. You can serve the Lord. You can walk in the anointing. You can do things. And you don't have to worry about checking out tomorrow because the number of your days you will fulfill. Now when you fulfill them, you'll just check out. You don't have to get sick. Your body parts don't have to fall off. You don't have to do anything else. You can just get done, satisfied. There's many ministers who got done, satisfied in their, in their chair, and they just said, that's it. That's my last breakfast, and shoo, off they went. Why? Because they were done. You're here on a mission on this earth. This is not where you're from, and it's not, things are going to change, do you see? So this is just your time period down here to get done what God wants done in your life. But the number of your days then I will fulfill. But notice, he will take sickness away from the midst of thee. I like that scripture. 
Hallelujah. So when everything's breaking out and, and the flu's gone through the church and whatever, say, thank God that he takes sickness away from the midst of me. It's not even, not even here. It might be over there someplace, but it's not here because every time I walk, it can't be around me because he takes sickness away from the midst. Or you can think, boy, I better stay away from them. They're, they're snotting around over there. Ooh, that guy coughed over there. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, fear invites demonic power into your life. Fear is something you need to stay out of, praise God. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Okay, Deuteronomy 7, look at verse 15. And the Lord will take away from thee the little sicknesses, the snotty noses, the coughs, the, no. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will allow none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. So once again, we found out that God doesn't make you sick. He will allow you to be sick if you allow yourself to be sick. And here it says he will take sickness from the midst of you. And what, what kind of sickness will he take away? Oh, will he take the flu away? Yes. Will he take cancer away? Yes. Will he take leprosy away? Yeah, he'll take away all sickness from you and make sure that you walk in divine health. All right, go to Psalm 103. All these are Old Testament promises for healing, and Jesus had not even gone to the cross yet and paid for it. All right, all of you know this. We'll just start at the beginning since you all know it. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his, all his. Now, what is a benefit? I mean, we know what a benefit is. If you're retired and you get a Social Security check, that's a benefit. What happens if that Social Security check don't show up? You just say, well, it's just the way it is. Some days it shows up. Some days it don't. No, you'd be calling the government. You'd be calling the Social Security office. You'd be choking the mailman. You'd be doing everything that you could, praise God, because you know that belongs to you. That's a benefit. Well, forgetting out all those benefits. Well, what are they? He forgives all thine iniquities, and he heals all thy diseases. He redeems thy life from destruction, and he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So here we go again. Verse 3, he forgives all your iniquities, but he also heals all your, once again, healing right along with, with sin and the same thing. Both delivered, both free from. You're free from sin, and you're also free from sickness and disease. And notice, once again, he heals how many of your diseases? Oh, how many of your, of your iniquities does he forgive? See, you can't do anything. And some people do something they just think is so big, and the devil comes in and makes it so big that they don't think God can possibly forgive them. God forgives all, all, when you repent. Not when you just want to repent and do it again and cover yourself till you do it the next time. How many of you ever lived that life? Yeah. I did. Drunk every weekend, repenting every Sunday morning. Drunk every weekend, repenting every Sunday morning. Are you going to drink again? Sure. As soon as I get to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but come Sunday morning, I'm going to repent. Praise God. So my biggest prayer was, please let me die on Sunday after church. Because I just repented. See, I'd be all right. I didn't know no 
different. But no, there was no, no, I didn't want to quit. I didn't even care about quitting. That's not repentance. How many of you know that? Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, go to Psalm 105. All right, look at verse 37. This is my prayer for TCPC when we get to 3 million people. He brought them forth also with silver and gold and raises, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, you've got to remember where these people came from. They came out of bondage. They didn't come out of, uh, you know, the highest price thing in California. These people were whipped. These people were beaten. These people were in gyps for a long time, but notice he brought them out, and there was not one feeble, sickly person among them. Well, then, can we do that in this day and age? Can we have a group of people who just walk in divine health all the time where there is no more sickness and no more disease? You can, but it's going to take some renewing of our minds and understanding what actually belongs to us. So here he delivered three million people, not one feeble one among them. They were slaves and everything else. But basically, if it's possible for three million people, it's possible for a little church in Fort Pierce, Florida. Praise God. Go to Psalm 91. Now, we all know this psalm. We all quote this psalm. We've all got it figured out. Psalm 91, look at verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy He will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. He will bear thee up with his hands, and lest you dash your foot against a stone. So notice, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. Now, how many know there are plagues in the world? We just went through what you might call a plague. How many know there's going to be more plagues in the future? So we need to be prepared for those, don't we? We need to be walking in faith. We need to be walking in peace and joy. So all these are Old Testament. Say Old Testament. Old Testament promises before Jesus even went to the cross. All right, one more. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. These scriptures give you something to, as you walk through the day, to praise the Lord about. You know, thank God you've taken all sickness away from me. Thank God no plague come near me or my household or the church. Thank God I'm healed from the top of my head. Thank you for giving all my iniquities. Thank you for healing all my diseases. Thank you for making me young like an eagle. Praise God. Hallelujah. You see, the more word you stay in, the more thanksgiving you get. If you get to a place where you can't thank God for anything, it's because you haven't been in the word for a while. So you've got to think something up. Well, let's see. I knew a scripture yesterday. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. Talking about Jesus, but now has Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So what's he saying here? He said, hey, in the Old Testament, if they could, if they could live and not be sick with all those Old Testament things, and I haven't even gone to the cross yet, now I've been raised from the dead, and now you're in a better ministry, a better covenant, a better kingdom, you're under better promises, why can't you walk in divine health now if he gave him the opportunity to do it way back in the Old Testament? So he says you now have a better covenant with better promises so that all can walk in divine health. We have a covenant not in the blood of bulls and goats, 
We have a covenant in the blood of Jesus. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. And all the promises of God are what? Yes, yes and amen, aren't they? So what is healing tonight? Prosperity. Power. Victory. See, it's when you take it out of the yes, amen, you get in trouble. Because then you go into works to purchase something you couldn't purchase again. You see, as soon as the devil convinces you that you, you're not prosperous, as soon as he convinces you that you're sick, you start to think, what can I do? Ever have that thought? What can I do to get back in health and get him to heal me? What am I doing wrong? What am I, when you get into the what, what, why, why, you're in a mess. You just got to understand you're healed. See, it's a better promise. Healing, yes and amen. A symptom comes, it's still yes and amen. Financial thing hits you, it's still yes and amen that your needs are met according to his riches and glory. It's still a yes and amen that he's given you peace. That you have joy on the inside of it, yes and amen. Do you have joy today? Yes and amen, I do. Do you feel like it? Absolutely not, but yes and amen. I have joy on the inside of me. It says exceeding joy, praise God, on the inside of us. But you only get that when you understand that when you enter the kingdom of God, everything that you ever wanted has already been given to us. He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. They already belong to us. Everybody's waiting to get to heaven. And I'm going to be fine. And I'm not going to have any... Yeah, well, you're not going to have anything up there. You're right. Everything's fine up there. But we're not up there to minister. We're down here to minister. And the best way you can minister, number one, is to keep ourselves healthy and whole and then reach out to other people. Have a witness. Have something to say. Have something to give them. But once again, they may come to you and say, well, you know, I'll tell you what. Well, you know what I heard? Sickness glorifies God. And you're going to say, well, no, it don't. And they say, prove it. And you're going, bah, 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 bah. And then they're going to go to the scripture there in John. It says, no, it's death. It brings glory to God. See, what do you got? <laughs> See, we've got to be in a position where we can show in God's word, you know, what the truth is and get it over to people because that's the only way you break that stuff off of their minds. It's been fed in their wrong each and every time. Praise God. Hallelujah. So are you healed tonight? Yes. Are you blessed tonight? Yes. Are you an anointed group tonight? Yes. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost tonight? Yes. Do you operate in the spirit yes. every day, yes. all the time? Praise God. Are you happy tonight? Yes. Are you peaceful tonight? Yes. Are you joyful tonight? Yes. Are you excited tonight? Yes. Have you been filled with the word tonight? Yes. Are you going to act on the word now? Yes. Are you going to thank God for something? Yes. yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, 830. Praise God. Shall